baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley, joined as always by Nick Green. It's been another week. It's been an interesting week with things actually going on on the Diamond. And we're going to talk about all the things that are happening from the Diamond on this episode, including what's going on in Atlanta Braves spring training, a giant free agent signing, one of the biggest free agent signings in the history of the sport. We're going to get to talk about that some on this episode. And we're also going to take another in-depth preview at another aspect of the Atlanta Braves. We're going to break down the bullpen, the guys fighting for jobs, and hoping to help Atlanta have a little bit more stability in the middle to late innings than they saw a year ago. A lot of guys in camp, some of them you know, some of them young guys looking for their first big shot. We're going to jump into all of that today. But before we do any of that, I want to check in with Nick Green. Nick, how are things going? And are you excited that there are actual baseball activities happening on a daily basis, which lets us know opening day is growing closer by the day? Well, I'm not going to lie. I saw some pictures from spring training and got a little bit jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, the weather's been terrible up here in Atlanta, and uh, the weather looks good in Florida. These guys are excited to play, and uh, like I said, I'm a little jealous. I wish I was down there um, enjoying some sun, and it just brings back a lot of memories, seeing guys on the field, seeing some of the great players, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, these guys down to spring training. It makes me miss it, and I, I this is like the first time that I've missed not going to spring training. I haven't missed too much about baseball because I get my fix. But seeing all this happen, and I think it's just the fact the team's really good, uh, makes me miss it even more. You know, I can totally understand that. This is the first year that I'm not really sure if I'm going to make it down at any particular point just from transitioning through my career and doing this podcast and doing some other things. And usually I was down there when pitchers and catchers reported, especially the last five or six years for the Braves. Before that, I was doing some stuff over on the Tampa Bay side of things. So that was always fun. But it always let me know that spring was here when pitchers and catchers reported. And I always want to be a part of that. So hopefully something like that will work out. But if not, it's not as long as spring training, at least not this year for the Braves, as it has been in some years past. And they're going to be opening up play about a month and, what, five days from now as far as opening day is concerned as we sit here on Friday the 22nd. Uh, another interesting thing about this you know, particular scheduling is about the time position players report, the Braves have a full squad workout, which they've got under their belts now. They're going to continue doing that. But they begin actual Grapefruit League play this weekend. It's Saturday against the Mets in Port St. Lucie. Then they'll take on the Houston Astros as well. So actual baseball, even the exhibition stuff, it does count. That's going to be happening this weekend. All kinds of good baseball stuff going to be happening from the Diamond all season long. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We appreciate you leaving us a rating and a review. We've gotten a lot of those, and they certainly help us out. We appreciate you leaving those for us and all the good words and encouragement and letting us know that you enjoy the show. That goes a long way. And you can follow us on social media, Twitter in particular, at from the diamond underscore is where you can find the show. I'm at Grant McCauley. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And he is at Nick Green 20. 
and you can find everything, including the preview series, which we'll get into a little bit more of that uh, in just a little bit as far as another aspect of the Braves roster. We've gone through some others. I'm going to have all of those posted and combined at some point. I'm going to put those out so you can look forward to that as well so you can get that full Braves preview from thediamond.com is where you can find that in addition to all the places you can subscribe to the podcast. So with all of that plugging out of the way, Nick, there's some actual Braves news and rumors <laughs> and things going on. Craig Kimbrell showing up in Orlando airports I think was pretty fascinating. No deal has been had there. Craig has not signed with anybody as of yet. And as I mentioned, the Braves have had themselves a full squad workout and Grapefruit League play about to get started this weekend. Tuki Toussaint going to get the ball in the Braves' first spring training game. What do you think of that decision? I think it's something that I kind of expected. They're going to take a long look at that number five spot for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tuki, to me, has the edge. I think what he's shown and uh, as far as ability last year and also uh, maturity level, I think that he's got the the edge. But you want to get those guys as much opportunity as possible. And to see Tuki start that first game, not surprising at all. I think that we kind of expected that. Like I said, I think he has that edge for that number five spot. I think we might have to end up with this Team Tukey, Team Soroka thing because I love Tukey Tucson, and I do want to see him in the starting rotation. I just wonder if just because of the way his stuff plays up and the fact that he had a little bit of success or a little taste of working out of the bullpen, if that might not be a job that he would get as kind of a swing man or a long man. But then, of course, there's lots of young pitchers that could fill that role. I just love what Mike Soroka brings to the table of healthy. I think he can be a big-time contributor for a long time. But the Braves, either way they decide to go there, are in such a better place now than they were three or four years ago as they marched into this rebuild and they had no elite pitching prospects. They didn't have these layers of depth. They didn't have the kind of talent questions about, well, what do we do with this guy? Well, what does it mean for this guy? Where's this guy going to start? Do we trade some of these guys? There's all these different questions and storylines and things that the Braves have now that a couple of three years ago, they were just waiting for these guys to get drafted and to show up and to finally make it to Atlanta. And that excitement is certainly happening, and spring training is a great example of that. Mike fulton who I would expect to be the Braves' opening day starter, barring just a, a, a random decision to go a different direction, he is going to get the ball on Sunday against his old team, the Houston Astros. It'll be great to see what Mike has in store, has up his sleeve in 2019, because, man, as we talked about last week, he really showed some big steps in his progression to becoming a top-of-the-rotation pitcher last year. I think that there's no way he's not the open ace starter. Unless they trade for somebody that's a, a legitimate ace, uh, there's no way that Fulton Evans doesn't start opening day. Um, I'm excited to see how he uh, goes about his business this year. Tyler Flowers had a great quote a couple of days ago, and he said whether Fulton Evans likes it or not, he's going to be a leader this year. Mm-hmm. He's been forced into that role. He's kind of a veteran in a way. It seems like he has a little more experience than a lot of the other guys other than Julio Tehran. Uh, but when you look at Fulton and the progression that he made last year, he has to continue to progress. The numbers are great, uh, but there are things that he can work on. He knows that. Uh, we talked about this when we went over the pitchers about his uh, preparation as far as getting the proper fuel in his body mm-hmm. and getting him prepared to go deeper than five and two thirds, six innings. You got to get to the seventh on a, on a consistent basis if you're Fulton and I think that uh, that's something that he knows he has to do, and hopefully he worked on. But uh, am I excited to see Fulton Evans get out there on Sunday? Absolutely. Um, I think that he's going to continue to get better, uh, even though he's young in a way, but he's got some maturity things that he's worked on from last year to from the previous year. 
And I think that stuff's going to get better. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, it's the Fulton Everest that goes out there and doesn't try to blow everybody away. He doesn't get mad and frustrated because a call doesn't go his way. He's able to take a step back, regroup, and get back on track. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing Fulton Evich uh, improve on this year. Stuff-wise, I don't even know if you can improve on the stuff. Right. It's top of the rotation stuff, um, and he's fun to watch every five days. So I don't know how many off days these guys are going to get as far as an extra day of rest. So that's going to be interesting too, and that might play a role in seeing how great these guys pitch at the back end of the season. So we'll have to take a look at that as well. But uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing Fulton Evich progress from a mental standpoint and a maturation standpoint. And I think he's going to be able to take that step. A couple of guys we talked about last week as well. Colby Allard and Bryce Wilson also scheduled to see action Saturday and Sunday. And they will be getting two inning stints in the early going of spring training. Of course, these starting pitching candidates are not going to be throwing four and five innings and going deeper into the ball games. That'll be kind of reserved for the latter part of spring training. But all these guys are going to be getting some multiple inning stints to get as long a look as you can at them, get them as many opportunities to go out there and show what they can do. And then, of course, the Braves will have roster decisions to make as they try to get it down to not only five or six guys that they're going to have in their starting rotation on a fairly regular basis, but also just that 25-man roster in general and the flexibility that they want to be able to have, both from a versatility standpoint when you're putting together all the position players, which the Braves are notably, I think, better at this year than they've been at perhaps any time in recent memory, but, of course, all the layers of depth and the pitching questions that they have to answer as well. Early impressions of camp, I think there's a lot of excitement around this team. I've been listening to all of the stuff that Fox Sports Braves has been putting out on their Twitter account. A lot of really good interviews from Corey McCartney and Zach Dillard. They, of course, host the Fox Sports South Chopcast. I thoroughly recommend that you subscribe there. That is uh, both necessary, I think, and needed if you want to keep up with a lot of good Braves info throughout the season. Corey and Zach do an awesome job. They were down there at spring training along with the Fox Sports South team that always does a great job of miking up players and chronicling things and sharing all the ins and outs and the fun stuff that you see throughout a spring training or really throughout the 162-game season. They do a great job. So uh, all of that aside and, and plugging that aside, because, Nick, I believe that you work for Fox Sports South as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a far-reaching entity, but be that as it may. I've been really impressed with what I've seen as far as, you know, there's palpable excitement when it comes to just getting back to work. But Josh Donaldson in a Braves uniform, doing the things that he does, seeing him in the cage, seeing him interacting with the other players, and then hearing him talk about his health in particular, that's a huge question mark that everyone has, I would say, including Josh, is staying healthy this year. Can he do it? He's put in the work over the offseason. He's changed some things, I think, particularly about how he runs and some other stuff. I'm pretty excited to see this guy get out there. If he does what he did in Toronto for about a four- or five-year run, the Braves have themselves a serious upgrade atop their lineup and, and run producing. That could be a pretty fun thing to watch each and every night. Have you noticed that there are so many articles out about Donaldson possibly being the best offseason sign by any team? Um, and, and when you mm-hmm. look at that, it's you say, okay, wait, it's the best offseason sign. It was $23 million, and it's a question mark. You don't know if he's going to be healthy. But I'm telling you, uh, if he's healthy, he's a huge upgrade. I, I love the way he goes about his business. He's not a really big guy. He's listed at six foot two hundred somewhere in there. And I think people are going to be surprised with his defense. Um, I think the Braves are going to be able to play him the right amount where he stays healthy. Uh, he has a training staff that he had in Toronto. They're familiar with him. I think they, they can put together a plan to keep him on the field. But when you look at some of the, the video of him working in the cage, 
his swing is unbelievable to it me. Is. It's it almost is. the perfect swing. Now the leg kick is something that not everybody can do, uh, but he has great rhythm, great balance, and everything's connected. When he lands in in a power position, a launch position, it does not get better than that. Uh, and, and he knows exactly what he wants to do. So he's fun to watch. I'm, I'm excited to see him on a daily basis, even just take BP. Um, I think that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, but how he goes about his business, you saw him watch, uh, if you looked at Twitter, saw him working with Wash a lot on his defense. He's going to be good defensively. And I know everybody's been out of shape because Camargo is not going to play every day. And Camargo is a gold glove type candidate uh, at third base. But when you look at the numbers and it, Donaldson not really a step down. He might be right there with Camargo. So I think that you're not losing anything defensively and you're getting a major upgrade offensively. And I think the Braves are going to be able to to keep him healthy and on the field. If anything, I think that Josh Donaldson all around, I don't think there's too much of an argument just based on the resume, has a chance to be a superstar caliber player. I mean, he's still one of the top 50 hitters in baseball. If, if you want to seriously downgrade him from what he was, in his MVP run in that three or four year span where it was basically Mike Trout was out producing him and nobody else was. So that's a huge get. And again, it all comes down to health and that's something that the Braves are certainly going to monitor and, and look to keep an eye on and make sure that they're giving the proper maintenance, not just to Josh Donaldson, but to other players throughout their lineup because they have the versatility of a Camargo and a Culberson and guys that they can give a day here and there. You don't have to grind this thing out. 700 plate appearances, all 162 games. And it doesn't mean that they don't want to be out there, but it's just giving the team the opportunity to maybe stay a little bit fresher than they were as they rolled into September and seemed to kind of hit a wall offensively speaking. But Donaldson certainly an upgrade in the lineup. I am interested to see exactly how Camargo fits in, where he fits in, where he sees the bulk of his playing time. Does he split it all over the field? And obviously other players are going to have a factor in that because if Dansby Swanson's hitting well, then are you taking him out of the lineup? Well, probably not a whole lot. Same thing for Ozzie Albies. Obviously, Freddie Freeman's going to try to hold down first base for every inning that he can be out there. And then Donaldson at third base. It's going to make for some interesting decisions for Brian Snitker as far as that is concerned. A guy who's happy to be back in a Braves uniform, Brian McCann. I think that's pretty much universally appreciated in that clubhouse and throughout the organization. I know a lot of fans are excited about that as well. Brian says that knee is 100%. And that last year, it wasn't even close to that, and it really affected him, and he tried to grind through it, simply couldn't, had the surgery, got a regular offseason, got to get back to his regimen, lifting weights and doing all the things that he normally wanted to do. He's happy to be back, and I think this is a guy that has an opportunity to not only influence a young pitching staff and do a lot of things that a guy with his veteran presence and his resume and his understanding of the game but also to impact the lineup maybe a little bit more than people are giving him credit for. What do you think, Nick? I think think you're right. And uh, when you listen to Anthopoulos talk about it, uh, he thinks he's going to get the Brian McCann from 2017. And that's a pretty good Brian McCann. You're looking at 18 home runs in 97 games. Um, If you're not healthy as far as your knee is concerned, you're not going to be able to hit. That's the bottom line. You have to have your legs underneath you, and he did not last year. So I think you have to take a look at those numbers last year and say those are a wash. Yeah, he's getting a little bit older, but at the same time, I think he knows how to prepare. He knows his swing. He knows what he has to do uh, to perform at a high level. And if he's healthy, I think he could do that. Um, There's so many guys uh, that he played with that respect him so much, pitcher-wise especially. Uh, and they, if I'm not mistaken, I, I can't remember exactly who it was. Somebody texted Mike Fulton and said, 
you're going to love Brian McCann. He's going to be your favorite catcher. Um, and that's a big statement because Absolutely. those guys don't have to go out of their way and text somebody like Fulton Evans and say how much they love McCann. It's sentimental because he's he was a brave. He came up a brave, and he was great and all that. But he brings a ton to the table. And a lot of the stuff that he's going to bring to the table, we aren't going to see. Um, it's going to be behind-the-scenes stuff. It's going to be leadership in the clubhouse. It's going to be game plan, preparation, helping the young guys uh, determine which pitches to throw in which situations. And I think offensively, you're going to see an uptick from last year. And if you see 13 to 15 home runs from him in a part-time role, I think that's going to be outstanding. I thought it was interesting to hear Brian say as well when he did his kind of introductory media availability down there. And again, Fox Sports Braves has a lot of these clips from you know Corey and Zach and just from general media scrums just catching up with these guys in their own words. So certainly check those out. I've retweeted a lot of those. But one thing that Brian said was, he feels healthy enough to catch 110 games. I thought that was a pretty fun statement. It's based on the fact that a typical catcher, if you're the starting catcher, your workload is going to be north of 100 games, probably approaching 120 or so starts if you're that guy, which Brian McCann was for so many years. If he's healthy, I'm going to monitor, and I'm sure Brian Snitker is as well, what exactly the split's going to be between he and Tyler Flowers with the object, of course, to be to take a good look at matchups and things that can benefit the team from a lineup construction perspective, but also keeping those two guys healthy and the fact that you don't really feel that drop off when it comes to handling that night starting pitcher, the game plan, just handling the staff in general and some of the tangibles and the intangibles that you kind of touched on there that are really going to benefit that pitching staff over the course of the full 162, regardless of whether it's McCann or flowers behind the plate. So the Braves are in pretty good shape when it comes to the short term at catcher and they feel like they may be in a pretty good place when it comes to long-term at catcher. I saw a lot of things about Alex Jackson. He was taking BP and showing that light tower power that he has, what kind of progressions he's going to be able to make to bounce back from a difficult year. But I think William Contreras is a name that if you're not already familiar with it, Braves fans, get familiar with it because this is a guy that is not just one of the top 30 prospects for the Braves, but I think he's going to start getting a lot more attention as he gets himself to double A, I would assume, this year and climbs toward Atlanta perhaps next year or in 2021 at some point. This kid, you may know Contreras. Uh, William Contreras, of course, is the younger brother of Wilson Contreras, the catcher for the Chicago Cubs. So it kind of runs in the family. He's a guy to keep an eye on throughout the spring, how much playing time he gets. He's in big league camp for the first time. Going to be fun to see how much he soaks up from Brian McCann, Tyler Flowers, and the likes, because that is a big portion of spring training is when young players get the opportunity to go in get through some nerves, really learn a lot, and then take those things and go into a season and perhaps have a totally different perspective than they've ever had at any point in their career. I, I think that's hugely beneficial. It's hugely beneficial for sure. And don't forget about Sal Fasano too. Sal Fasano is a great catching guy. Uh, he knows how to work with young guys. He knows how to work with veteran guys. Um, he actually had a quote saying that Alex Jackson got so much better last year Mm-hmm. He's hoping that Contreras takes that same type of step right. and leap forward that Jackson took last year defensively. Now, Jackson didn't do well offensively, we know that, but he's better than what he hit last year. And a lot of times when you change a position like that, especially to a, a position like catcher, it's that important. Um, sometimes that can affect your offense because he's worried so much about his defense because he is changing positions. Contreras is a catcher, is going to continue to get better. Great arm, he has great flexibility and athleticism behind the plate he can hit uh fasano said that he expects him to be ready and possibly be in the big leagues by the 
late end of uh, 2020, I think was what, what the quote was. And yeah. uh, this kid, they're not going to block him at all. Um, when you get to double A, that's really where that uh, determining factor of can you play in the big leagues is. Um, a ball, you just kind of you're just kind of guessing. When you get to double A, which where it was where he's going to end up this year. I don't know if he's going to start in high A or not, but he's going to be a double A, and that's where we're really going to see uh, how much he progresses and kind of put that timetable on him. But um, if he could take some steps forward, like Sal Fasano thinks he can. 2020, the late season 2020, uh, I think we we have to be excited about that. Certainly, and I think that Contreras is a guy that can show a lot this year. He may start at high A, but I think he's going to be in double A pretty quickly. I mean, remember kind of how Austin Riley was last year, and he's not the only prospect in recent years that they start in a place, they do pretty well, they get that early season promotion, it kind of propels them into that next level. They go in maybe a little bit of momentum rather than just being, hey, you're the youngest player on this team, or you're the youngest player in this league, or you're one of them. <laughs> Now, that's happened too, but I think maybe more so for the position players, especially one as important as catcher, I don't think they want to rush his development, but I don't think, as you said, that they're going to look to find any way to block or impede him from arriving and being a big part of their plans. But that, of course, is catchers. If you want to read more about the catchers, including Alex Jackson and William Contreras, as well as Brian McCann and Tyler Flowers from thediamond.com, you can find the five-part preview series breaking down each position for the Braves, catchers, infielders, outfielders, starting rotation, and, of course, the bullpen, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Nick, I think I'm probably speaking for a lot of folks when I say that there were some frustrations in the middle to late innings for the Braves last year, and most of them all centered around one particular word more than any other word, and that word is walks. The Braves put a lot of free base runners on last year, and it really made some nights that maybe didn't have to be so tense a little bit more tense, and there were, of course, nights that I think that that proved pretty costly and might have been the difference in the Braves winning, say, four, five, maybe more games than they actually did. I know that's hard to say, and it's all hindsight and whatnot, but when it comes to attacking the strike zone and just getting the outs you need to get and being effective, the Braves have some pitchers, I think, that can do that. But for some reason, it really just seemed to be a group problem, an epidemic for the entire bullpen, where guys just couldn't come in and throw strikes on a regular basis. It opened up some innings for other teams. It made things a little bit hairier than it needed to be. And if there was one place that you looked at in the offseason that you thought, well, Alex Anthopoulos is definitely going to go out and he's going to get a couple of guys here that are going to shore up this position, I think you would have expected it to be the bullpen. But oddly enough, the Braves did not make any major additions to their bullpen. In fact, they kind of hearkened back to the trade deadline and said veteran Darren O'Day coming back would be big for the bullpen, which is true. But they are returning essentially the same group that they had a year ago, which is not short on talent but was a little bit short in the results department when it came in particular to the walk column. They probably were a little bit more maligned at times than they deserve to be as far as the bullpen as a whole. But when you look up and down this roster, there are guys that have the talent and the ability to go out and have better seasons in 2019. And the Braves are going to have to hope that there is no further regression, I think, from a lot of these guys. But I guess the, the tip of the sword right now, if you want to look at it that way, is A.J. Minter. He got the opportunity to close some last year. I've already heard some of AJ's early quotes and and whatnot this year. I know he wants that job, that responsibility again. What do you see out of AJ Minter from his first full big league season, the things that he showed flashes of, and the work that he did last year, and how that's going to set him up for 2019? And do you feel that AJ Minter is your odds-on favorite to be closing games for the Atlanta Braves as they open 2019? I don't know if I would say he's the the favorite. I still think that. If Vizcaino is healthy, I think Viz is probably going to be the closer. 
uh, to start out. But are they going to share the role? I, I think they're definitely going to share the role. Really? Um, I think that Minter has to improve on what he was doing last year. When you come on the scene like Minter did, he didn't. They didn't want to pitch him back to back days in the minor leagues. They gave him like two days off in between. He pitched like every third day or something like that because they were worried about him staying healthy. Then he gets to the big leagues and you have to run him out there every day. Well, that's a big difference. And also the fact that all you do is compare him to Craig Kimbrell. Right. There's a lot of pressure on the kid. His first year was outstanding and he lived up to that hype. And then last year, it just felt like he got away from his game plan a little bit. And is he going to get better this year? I think, yes, he is. And he's going to learn from last year. He wasn't bad last year at Not all. at all. He was the Braves' uh, he best reliever, hands yeah, down. Yeah, he was good. But but you expected him to be that dominant closer. And can he be that guy? Yes, I think he can be that guy. But he's still young. These guys are these guys are still improving. And I think that's what the Braves are banking on, really, is the improvement of these guys and learning what uh, what they can do to get better from last year. I think Minter's one of those guys that you're going to see improve and get better. He wants that closer job. Uh, whether he's going to get it or not, we don't know. But you have to be able to throw strikes. You can't get out there and you know work on. It. He to me, I feel like he he gets away from his fastball some, and his fastball is mid to upper nineties. Yeah, he starts throwing the cutter, cutter, cutter. All of a sudden, now he's behind, and I can't throw a fastball for a strike. And then you end up having to throw a strike three one count. It gets hit. Doesn't matter how hard you throw um, in the big leagues. And I think that's something that he's going to learn from. He's going to att- attack the zone a little bit better. Uh, not saying the cutter is not a good pitch. I think it's a great pitch. Uh, but he's got to be able to throw up for strikes and, and kind of put it where he wants to. So there, there's some things that he can work on, and I, I think he's going to, and he, I think he's motivated too. Uh, when you hear, what's the, the question mark at closer? Is it going to be Viz? Is it going to be Mentor? These guys are motivated. If he wants that job like he says he wants that job, he wants to go get it and attack and, and try to do things better than he did last year. And I think you're going to see a better uh, A.J. Mentor this year closing. Uh, I think he's definitely going to close, but I don't know if he's going to be the the opening day closer per se. Let's look at the numbers between A.J. Minter and Arodis Vizcaino. Minter's ERA about three and a quarter last year, a little bit higher than his fielding independent pitching if you're into kind of the, the a more advanced look at it just to kind of let you know more what the pitcher can control. He was a sub-three FIP. I mean, it was 2.73. He struck out better than a batter per inning. It was 10.1 Ks per nine. Opponents hit just over 240 against him, which surprised me a little bit because I thought it would be down in the 220s, maybe the two teens. And, of course, when it came to being valuable in terms of wins above replacement, Minter was the guy for the Braves last year. I think he did the best. If you look at where he ranked among all Major League relievers, 23rd best in Major League Baseball last year, 1.4 was his war according to fan graphs. All of those are fun stats. But, of course, Nick, as we talked about on the show, that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story, especially when it comes to leverage situations and and how you're being used and pitching on back-to-back days and just the human element of going through a baseball season and making things happen. I did notice going through the splits, he really got hit at SunTrust Park at a much higher rate than he did anywhere else. 17 of the 23 runs he allowed last year occurred at SunTrust Park. He had a couple really just, I think, disastrous appearances there. But as you talked about, the stuff's there. It's a high 90s fastball. He has a stellar slider. I really love that slider. I wish he'd throw it, I think, a little bit more at times than he does because he might get a little bit more reliant on that cutter, which is not necessarily doing the exact same thing that that slider could do for him. But Vizcaino was a guy that injury has really been the thing for him too. I mean, we talked about trying to avoid it with Minter. 
Vizcaino really hasn't been able to avoid it so much. Just 39 appearances last year, 16 of 18 in saves chances, striking out about a batter per nine innings, opponents hitting just over 200 against him. All of those are pretty good-looking numbers, but I think the question is, how many appearances is Vizcaino going to make, and can he avoid the disabled list? Because that may be what answers who's closing, not just on opening day, but on any given night for the Braves all year long. I think that that's what you have to look at for sure. I think that when you look at Viz, is he capable of closing? Absolutely. Does he have the stuff to close? Yes. And he has the experience. So I think he's the favorite to close if he's healthy, and that's what spring training is all about. You want to see if you can put him out there uh, on a consistent basis. When you have one guy that's a designated closer, they have to be able to pitch three days in a row and still be able to recover uh, for two days and then go back at it again. Uh, if you can't do that, then you're going to have to split the role. And I think uh, looking at Viz last year at the end of the season with the shoulder injury, they actually didn't even know if he was going to be able to come back late in the season. But they were going to test it. They felt like he was an upgrade of the bullpen. They could use him in the bullpen, and that worked out. Yeah. Whether he's healthy or not determines how many appearances he's going to make and, and what role he's going to take on in that bullpen. Uh, but I think that when you look at Viz, his thing is throwing strikes. You could see you could see him throw four balls all over the place and then dot three pitches on the corner. Yep. So he's frustrating in a way, but he has the experience. And I think that that kind of puts him in that favorite role of being the closer. Can he go three days in a row? I don't know. Does he have to? Probably not. Yeah. Because they have other guys that could fill that role too. If you sign a Craig Kimbrell, Craig Kimbrell's going three days in a row. Yeah. Um, and so should we sign Kimbrell? I think we probably should. <laughs> I think it would make that bullpen so much better because then you would have that lockdown closer. Yeah. This guy, you know, a mentor, no seven, doubt. eight, you have a dynamite bullpen. But as it stands right now, I think that Viz is probably going to be uh, the best option to start out closing games. If nothing else, like you said, if you don't have to go three days in a row and you do have somebody that can do it for you, that is helpful. But there were times we saw over the last couple of years where certain guys had already pitched quite a few days in a row and they just wanted to stay away from them. And then the question was, who could come in and close on those nights? And the Braves had a couple of those where it seemed like, was there not a contingency plan here? And of course, some of that you want to give opportunities to other guys. A guy like Dan Winkler, for example, who had a great season last year, a tremendous comeback story for him as far as arm surgery was concerned. And, of course, he broke his elbow, which was one of the, I think, most gruesome and and just painful things to watch another person have to go through. But he came back in 2017. He earned a spot in the bullpen in 2018, and he was one of the Braves' better relievers. Ultra effective against righties is one thing I noticed. Their OPS against him was 501. That's a ridiculous number. It's a it's a tremendous amount of success there. Not so much, though, against lefties who OPS nearly 900 against him. Overall, though, this is another guy that's going to come in. He's going to rack up strikeouts. He's a different kind of pitcher. He's not throwing 100 miles an hour like a Rodis Vizcaino or high 90s necessarily like A.J. Minter. Extremely crafty and knows what he wants to do. He's got a great arsenal, and he's able to really exploit righties. He's not a guy we're going to talk about, I don't think, too much in the closing mix, but When it comes down to it, I look at Dan Winkler and I look at Darren O'Day as they may not look the same when they're out there pitching, but those are two guys. Winkler kind of still on the the rise as far as his major league career is concerned. O'Day kind of trying to get back on the horse. If you're looking for two relievers that may not get many, if any, saves this season that could be crucial pieces of the Braves' bullpen, 
I look at Dan Winkler and Darren O'Day and pretty much go down from there. I think those are two guys that may end up kind of having to be that glue that, that keeps that whole unit together. What do you think? I think you're right. And when you look at Winkler's season, I think he got overused early on. He wasn't the only guy that got overused. Yeah. Uh, and I think that Snicker would tell you that too. Y- you look at Winkler and say he has so much success early on. I just want to keep pitching it because I'm trying to win ball games. And I know people get on Snit and management of the bullpen. Actually, every manager gets in trouble for that by the fans. But you're trying to win ball games. If Winkler's out there throwing great and locking down innings, why don't you try to run him out there as long as he says he's healthy? And Winkler was saying he was healthy, so they ran him out there. Uh, he had a great first half, tailed off a little bit at the end of the first half. Uh, but this is a guy that's going to pitch important innings. He's got a great cutter. Uh, his fastball's above average, uh, 93 miles an hour, up to 95, somewhere in there uh, at times. He's, I think he's, his slider's really good, but he doesn't throw it that much. Right. When you look at the righty-lefty splits, he just doesn't have a pitch to go that goes away from lefties. And I think that's the problem with the righty-lefty split with him. When you dive deeper into the numbers, if you keep two lefties in the bullpen, do you just pitch Winkler in certain situations against righties? Can you pull him out and let lefty-lefty situation happen? Those are things that they're going to look at the stats and see how he does in the spring and see what his stuff's like yeah. uh, and see what the best spot is for Dan Winkler. But Winkler's going to pitch meaningful innings. There's no doubt about it. I don't know if you, you want to put him in that closer role. I know they had to last year, but not everybody is fit for the closer role. That doesn't mean they're not a great pitcher in important situations. Yeah, I think Winkler is a guy that is going to, to be important to that bullpen. Uh, whether he pitches the 6th, 7th, 8th, or ninth, then it doesn't matter. But he's going to be important. And Darren O'Day, who I think is kind of a wild card of sorts in this bullpen, given that he was traded to the Braves last year, he is their highest-paid reliever. He's making $9 million in the final year of a multi-year contract he signed with the Baltimore Orioles. He came over with Kevin Gosman and Brad Brock. We saw Brock, who's now a Chicago Cub, who did pretty well for the Braves, more or less. But, you know, there was not a reunion to be had there and O'Day did not throw a pitch for Atlanta after being traded over. Hamstring surgery, he feels like he's back. He said that was something that really bothered him for a number of years, and finally he just had to you know, give it in or give in and have that surgery and get it corrected. He's a submarine hurler, six-year run in Baltimore. I would say one of the better relievers in the American League between 2012 and 2017, ERA of 2.34, 10.1 Ks per nine across 371 appearances, including an all-star appearance. He does well against righties. He does well enough, I think, against lefties that you know that you can go out and expect him to throw an inning, maybe an inning and a third if you need him to do that. Uh, You don't have to limit this guy. He's a veteran that knows exactly what to do. And when we talked about, uh, or as we talk about, this group and the makeup of this bullpen and who's got experience and what can other guys do and what can you expect and who's going to get big outs, like Dan Winkler is going to have the opportunity to do that. So is Darren O'Day, obviously. Minter and Vizcaino, we know we're going to be counted on toward the back end of the bullpen, but I look at the overall experience factor and the mentoring of sorts that can go into not just you know the, the experience that you need to be able to get those outs, but helping other guys take that next step. If it's a Jesse Biddle or a Chad Sabatka or someone of that nature or guys that may come up from the minor leagues or a starter that's moving to the bullpen, per se, maybe a Max Freed or at Tuki Toussaint, if need be, for a limited amount of time. There's an aspect that Darren O'Day brings to the development of all those guys and the cohesion of that unit that 
People can joke about it and say, oh, well, veteran presence, you know, that's funny. I want to see results. I want to see the best guys out there, that kind of thing. And that's totally justified. But there is really something to be said for the chemistry factor and what O'Day can bring to that bullpen, regardless of whether or not he's the guy that's going out there each and every night. He can just make the guys around him, I think, that much better. When you talk about a guy like Darren O'Day and clubhouse chemistry, if you haven't been in a clubhouse that doesn't have good chemistry, you don't really understand what it means to have good chemistry. Right. These bullpen guys are with each other all the time. They want to root for each other. I've been on teams where these guys weren't rooting for each other. They were rooting for themselves and trying to, to worry about themselves only. And that's not how you win ball games. I've been a huge proponent throughout my career and after I get done everything, you have to get the right people in your organization, whether it's front office, scouts, coaches, whatever. And then you also have to get the right people on the field as well. Uh, Darren O'Day is, to me, he, he's, a, he's a special guy to me because we used to ride together to uh, the field in Round Rock. We played together in, in Texas. He picked me up from the hotel every day. We rode to the field, had conversation, whatever. Then all of a sudden, he, he signs the big deal with Baltimore. I'm like, where did that come from? I didn't expect that. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's such a good guy, and he understands. He doesn't have an ego. He understands what he's there for. He's going to help guys get better. But he's also, I think he's also going to produce on the field, too. And he's a valuable asset. You're not going to pay $9 million for a guy that's not going to be uh, useful on the field. The Braves think he's going to get back, throw 60 innings, 60-plus uh, innings, and, and have that – ERA around three. They think that's the guy they're going to get. And last year, having the hamstring injury, if he's been dealing with that for a few years, he's back healthy. You might see the Darren O'Day from 2013 to 2015. Those numbers were insane when he was in Baltimore. Yeah. And this is a guy that's not going to overpower anybody. He's a fastball slider guy, submariner, 87, 88, somewhere in that range. But he's going to be an important piece. I don't think you're going to see him close. I think we got that covered. But he could if he had to, and he's going to pitch uh, some important innings as well. But uh, this is a great guy all the way around. I think you're going to see him perform on the field, and we're going to see him uh, help the young guys and the other guys in the bullpen, even though we aren't going to see it per se, but we're going to see him uh, be a great clubhouse leader as well. He's a guy that could be a stabilizing force in the bullpen also, just from being a submariner, and I don't know how much you buy into this. I mean, as a hitter, you could obviously tell me whether it matters or not, but if you have to prepare for guys who have all kinds of different presentations as far as their windups, their mechanics, and things of that nature, he might be one that keeps you a little bit more off balance than a guy who just comes straight in over the top, just throwing things straight from an arm angle that you're used to and a release point that you're keyed in on. Do you think that's kind of a factor in, in Darren O'Day's success, the fact that he is a unique style of pitcher? Because you don't see that many submarine guys anymore in Major League Baseball. I don't know if I can come off the top of my head and think of one other than Darren O'Day. I can't um, either. That's, that's true submarine. You're going to see some guys like C.C. Sheck throw sidearm. Yeah. But O'Day is underhand, basically. Uh, it's it's a different it's a different look for sure. Um, a lot of times you see the ball rise because they're throwing from the ground. You see knuckles scraping up the ground. The, the, right. the release point is really hard to pick up because you're looking – typically you're looking up by the ear is where the guy releases the ball from. When you see O'Day, he doesn't release it near his ear at all. And um, he's underneath coming from the, the top of the mound. So is it hard for a hitter? Yes, it's really hard for a hitter. For me, if I saw a sidearm guy, I had to spread out, no stride, 
uh, and just try to hit singles. I couldn't try to overdo it because my main goal was trying to pick the ball up. And I, I think that not seeing a guy like O'Day uh, throwing submarine, it's going to be, it's going to play a, a different role for the hitters. Um, that look is going to be different. What if you have Rory Vizcaino throwing a hundred miles an hour and all of a sudden you bring in Darren O'Day or vice versa. Um, yeah. Or vice versa, whatever. That's going to be something that I think is going to play a big role too. Uh, just because hitters don't see submariners much, if any at all anymore. Yeah. He, he's doing what he has to do to get guys out. And that's how he gets guys out. Uh, so the slider ends up going up a lot of times. And when you're talking about baseball, trajectory of the baseball typically goes downhill, right? Mm-hmm. Well, O'Day sometimes goes uphill. Well, how many times do we practice hitting a ball that's going up? So uh, I'm not saying that they, these guys are going to go out and dominate all the time, but it is a different look, and it does make for hitters changing their strategy a little bit and how they hit and what they want to do with it. Another dimension for the Braves' bullpen, certainly something a healthy Darren O'Day can bring if he's anywhere close to as productive as he was with the Baltimore Orioles in the years leading up to a 2018 that was kind of a lost season for him thanks to that hamstring injury, but back and healthy and the opportunity to carve out a nice role in the Braves' bullpen this year. Nick, let's talk about a trio of left-handed pitchers, a guy that we know and we root for, and I think we've been rooting for for a long time is Johnny Venters. He came back to the Braves in a trade last year, 34 years old, a different Johnny Venters than the guy who was basically pitching every other day for the Braves when he first came up and blowing everybody away, but he still knows how to pitch. He still, I think, is effective as far as uh, at least, at the very least, a situational left-hander. He won the Comeback Player of the Year award last year, and you may be wondering, well, you know, who else could have possibly won this award not named Johnny Venters, who basically sat around for four, five, almost six years between major league appearances and was able to come back and be as effective as he was last year. The Braves have brought him back. He had a, a pretty good season last year, ERA under four, 7.1 Ks per nine, a big departure from the old Johnny Ventures we know, but lefties, they hit 133 against him. Now, Johnny is a guy that I think if healthy and pitching anywhere close to his capabilities, even the 2018 version of him, he's a guy that's going to have a spot. My question now becomes, Jesse Biddle showed a ton last year for the Braves at 27. I really like his stuff. Walks are a bit of a problem at times, but he was not alone in that last year, but put together a stellar rookie season and was a useful pitcher for the Braves. But then there's Sam Freeman, a veteran who was great in 2017, struggled mightily in 2018. I don't know how many lefties the Braves are going to carry. We know Mentor is a given. Some of these other guys, though, it's going to be very fascinating to see how the Braves view these guys and how exactly they use them because there are only so many spots to go around. So you've got Venters, you've got Freeman, veterans, Biddle, a younger guy. Maybe throw Max Freed into this equation if you're looking at him as kind of a long man. How do you see this all shaking out as far as the Braves kind of deciding on what <laughs> lefties that they're going to want? And if you had to pick them, if you want to, and if you don't, then I'll take you off the hot seat. Which ones do you think have that inside track? It's a tough question because yeah. when you look at the possibility of having five lefties in the bullpen, do you really want that? You have to look at mm-hmm. the splits versus righties and lefties. Left-handed pitching's got gotten a little bit more difficult to hit over the years uh, for righties. Last year, I think, Major League Baseball hit five points better against lefties than righties. So it's not like a huge drastic change, uh, whether it's a righty or lefty uh, on the mound. But when you're looking at five lefties uh, possibly being in that bullpen, it's tough to say uh, that they're going to be able to keep all those guys. 
I, I like all of them. I like all their stuff. I like Biddle. I love what he brings to the table. He's nasty. He can get righties out. Sam Freeman, back in the season, I thought he was outstanding. He struggled early on, but again, he was used a ton. And then Mentors, obviously the lock. Venters is a guy that's dominant against lefties. Uh, and then I think I actually think Max Freed is going to be in the bullpen. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that's very valuable in multiple inning situations. So kind of take Max Freed out of, the, out of the fold for a minute because mm-hmm. he would be a long guy anyway. He wouldn't be a guy that would come in and pitch an inning, I don't think, for the most part. At least not um, early. Yeah, not early. It, it's tough to say because you have Sabatka, Shane Carl, both those guys are in the mix. I think Sam Freeman's a guy that that's on the on the bubble a little bit. Uh, I think that you're you're looking at him if he can perform like he did late in the season. I think they want him on that on the team. I think early on in the season you're you're probably going to see a bunch of lefties in that bullpen and then kind of see how it goes from there. Another guy to keep in mind if we're talking about lefties, another one who didn't throw a pitch for the Braves last year because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery was Grant Dayton. This is a guy that was terrific in 2016 as a rookie. He struck out 39 guys in 26 and a third innings ERA, just over two. I mean, those are arms that you love to have, guys who put up those kind of eye-popping numbers. But, you know, the arm injuries have really derailed his career. He's a long shot, I think, to make the opening day roster. He may actually continue through, I don't want to say the, the full rehab process, but starting to make those appearances to get himself through that stage of rehab where you're ready to be in the big leagues again. But, He's an intriguing guy to keep an eye on, though I don't think he's going to factor into the opening day roster, but you're right. You got multiple lefties, some of them good enough against righties, certainly in the case of Jesse Biddle, I think. Not so much in the case of Johnny Venters. Sam Freeman, I think, ultimately is a guy that may just be a victim of circumstances and just that numbers game, quite possibly. He's another one of those guys. The Braves tendered him a contract. Same thing with Venters, but it's not. It's a non-guaranteed contract. So if he doesn't make the opening day roster and the Braves cut him loose, he doesn't really cost him anything, but I will say this, and for those who are like, well, why would you bring Sam Freeman back when you got a guy that's had some success and a guy that they do like, and Sam is certainly a guy that fits in well in that Braves clubhouse and is a liked individual and, again, has had some success, you just have to have depth because an injury can happen and it will completely change your plans and your perspective and can really throw things off, and the Braves will not be immune from that in 2019. Somebody or somebody's is going to get hurt or regress or not be able to perform to the level that they did before, and you're going to have to have that depth. So I think that's one of the big reasons that you do see Sam Freeman around or a couple of the reasons that you do. Grant Dayton, though, I don't think really factors in as much. Nick, you brought up an interesting non-left-handed reliever in Chad Sabatka. This is a guy that I think is going to get a lot of attention in the spring just based on his major league cameo last year where he was pumping a high 90s fastball and pitching pretty well uh, for the Braves. ERA under two. He only made 14 appearances, of course, but he was a guy that piled up strikeouts, 13.2 strikeouts per nine for Chad Sabatka. And if you've watched him pitch, you know exactly why. What do you think his role is in 2019? And do you see him in leverage situations? Because, if you've again, if you've watched him pitch, it's hard to say that Chad Sabatka can't help you win. I think you do see him in uh, some leverage situations, but... I think the Braves are going to learn. I think Smith's going to learn from last year overusing guys, and I think that's going to play a big role in, as far as where do you pitch these guys, when do you pitch them. I think everybody's going to have an important role in that bullpen. I just look at last year and the the drop off with these guys. You can't pitch them all the time. You have to have depth, and that's 
talk about Sam Freeman. That's why you have a Sam Freeman. That's why you tender a Sam Freeman a contract. You have to have that depth where everybody can play a role. If you don't have a set closer, you still have, you have to have other guys that can fill that role. And that's what they're doing. They're putting the best pitchers they have together right. uh, to try to fill all the roles. And uh, Chad Sabak is a guy that's probably going to have some lumps this year because we just hadn't seen him enough, and they're going to make an adjustment. He's a fastball slider guy. Fastball's upper 90s, but he has to be able to throw strikes if you only have two pitches. Um, so we'll see what he does and how he improves on last year. But they're high on Sabaka. Yeah. I'm high on Sabaka. I think that he can definitely pitch the late innings in a game. Uh, we'll see how it goes and, and where they need him. But when you look at the guys that are possible back into the, the bullpen guys, O'Day makes a huge difference because he can pitch anywhere. Minter and Viz, uh, you can put Venters in late, depending on if you have lefties up or not. So does it mean that Sabaka has to pitch the eighth inning every time, the seventh inning every time? No. Sabaka can come in and pitch the sixth, get mm-hmm. you out of the sixth inning. And I think that's kind of where I would put him to start out. Uh, I don't know if I'd put him necessarily at the back end all the time, but I think he, he can definitely pitch in those leverage situations for sure. When you talk about leverage situations, we mostly think late in the game. Well, there are a ton of leverage situations in the sixth inning. Absolutely. Even the fifth inning. And so that's why Andrew Miller became Andrew Miller, because he was getting these teams out of situations in the sixth, seventh inning. And I think Sabaka can do that as well. But uh, we'll see where they decide to put him. I don't think you're going to see him eighth, ninth inning to start out, but uh, he's definitely going to be in leverage situations. Uh, from time to time. Yeah, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to kind of bring that up. There are situations throughout the game where if the game can be won or lost in the sixth inning, then that's a, that's a leverage situation. That's a situation where you need mm-hmm. to have a guy that can get those important outs. Sabatka could be that guy. If you are wondering about his minor league numbers, if you're a Braves fan that saw him last year and kind of wondered you know, what did he do that, that earned him, uh, just basically kind of forced himself into the major league mix because the Braves were looking for bullpen help. Four and three last year in the minors. Across three different levels, ERA of just about two. He did save 11 games and 44 appearances. And again, he can pile up some strikeouts. So I think he's a dark horse candidate to watch for, you know, again, leverage situations we used is kind of a, a broad reaching term that, that pretty much counts for any pitcher that can come in and get important outs and get his team out of a jam. But if you do have that time where, hey, you know, Mentor and Viz, they're both unavailable because maybe one of them's pitched three days in a row and the other one might be nursing something. We don't know about it. And the Braves get in that situation be pretty nice to have a Chad Sabaka. You could say, you know what? We're going to hold him back because we need somebody to throw the ninth. This is a guy that could get an opportunity to do that. So that's something to monitor, something to think about, maybe keep in the back of your mind as the Braves construct this bullpen because right now, and and the Braves have not thrown a pitch yet. They have not played a game. It's the 22nd as we sit here recording this podcast of February. Braves are going to open up Grapefruit League play, and we'll see what happens. But I have to think that Sabatka is a lock to be in the Braves bullpen on opening day if he's healthy and ready to go couple of guys that are not a lot, a couple of 27-year-olds. Shane Carl, we saw some good things from him last year, especially early. He got, I think, a little bit tired down the stretch and maybe a little bit worn down because, as Nick pointed out, there was a lot of, I think, overuse of certain guys. Winkler, Carl, Freeman, those are all guys I'd look at and say, man, they had to throw quite a bit to get the Braves out of some trouble or just through some ball games as well. Luke Jackson is another guy that, showed at times that he might could be a contributor, especially in a long roll. If your starter got knocked out in the third inning and you're trying to keep the ball game at least manageable, he did that a handful of times for the Braves. But outside of that, doesn't really seem to have a very clear 
and defined role, but you need the depth. You like to have guys around, especially if they've had some success and they certainly not getting along in the tooth at 27. You see either of these guys as having a, a, a better shot than the other of making the opening day roster. If I had to pick one of the two, I think Shane Carl may have a little bit more equity. What about you? I agree. I think that Shane Carl can do a lot of different things. And I think Shane Carl, his role opening day depends on whether you're going to use Max Fried in the bullpen because Carl can be a guy that can throw multiple innings. And can they learn from what they did last year? Yes, they absolutely can. He threw 38 games in the first half, 49 innings, had a 2.76 ERA. You can't tell me that's not great. Right. He, he was important to that bullpen. Can, can he, since he can go uh, multiple innings, I think that uh, he's a guy that, that has the edge, especially over Luke Jackson. But again, I think it just depends on what you want to do uh, with Max Freed. If you want Max Freed out of the bullpen in a multiple inning role, then Shane Carl might be out. I think that you have to have, you have to have a, a, a long reliever. You can't go into the season without a long reliever yeah. just because of the fact that pitchers aren't going as deep into ball games. It's so important to eat some innings. If you have a guy throw four innings, well, you don't have anybody to pick up two or three innings, like which a Shane Carl or Max Free could do. Then all of a sudden, two days down the road, you have another guy throw, that throws five innings. Well, you don't have a complete game in the next five days. You're using guys over and over and over. So uh, I think Shane Carl, I think he's got a, a, chance, a legit chance to be on this team, but it, I think it depends on what happens with Max Freed. Max Freed, I think, is going to be a critical component or a critical decision the Braves are going to have to make, whether it's Max Freed or someone else as far as a long man in the bullpen. Freed's numbers, as we touched on a week ago, strikeout-wise and just the, the things he was able to show the Braves last year, you can't tell me that that won't be a valuable arm to have for the Braves, whether or not he remains a long man or they start using him in different ways or he gets some starting assignments at some point. I think that Max Freed is pretty much a guy that you have to look at the bullpen, and if you're constructing it right now, that's a guy that can help you win, and those are the kind of decisions that Alex Anthopoulos and company and Brian Snitker are going to have to make as they grind through the spring training schedule, which again is beginning on Saturday, February the 23rd, against the New York Mets in Port St. Lucie. That's when the Grapefruit League slate will get underway, and Tuki Toussaint uh, will have that opportunity to throw the first pitch of the exhibition season for the Atlanta Braves. The bullpen preview is up at FromTheDiamond.com. A few names we didn't get to, but you can read up on a little bit. Jacob Webb was a righty reliever added to the 40-man roster over the offseason. A name to keep an eye on. Not really sure his opening day status is going to be, you know, cemented when it comes to winning a spot in the bullpen, but certainly a guy who's been rising in the minors. And two lefties to keep an eye on, Corbin Klaus and Thomas Burroughs, both guys who are among the Braves' best relief pitching prospects down there. So I invite you to read up on those guys and all the ones we talked about at FromTheDiamond.com. It's a five-part Braves preview series by position, and you can check out the bullpen, which is the most recent of the ones that we went through. So, Nick, turning the page from the Atlanta Braves and to, I guess, the biggest story of the offseason, it's free agency and some of the big names that have been out there and been out there a long time. One of them is no longer a free agent, and that's Manny Machado. He waited and waited and waited, and he got his big deal, 10 years, $300 million from the San Diego Padres of all teams. What do you make of this signing? What do you feel like it means for Manny Machado? What do you think it means for the San Diego Padres in general? And if I may hit you with another question, what does it mean for Bryce Harper, who still has not signed as of Friday morning? Well, first of all, I was shocked the Padres were, were even involved in this, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. 
why would this Padres be involved when they are close to competing over the next two years? But at the same time, if you're made Machado and you, you want a 10-year deal, if you're going to suffer the first two years of that deal, you've got to make the money that you want to make. It's not going to be a 10-year deal for $200 million if you're going to have to struggle to get the team back to where they need to be. This yeah. team, as far as the Padres, they have a ton of young talent that's going to be in the big leagues soon. Machado has agreed to play third base, which is important yep. because they have Luis Arias and Tatis Jr. Both those guys are super they're, – they're, they're legit. So it's going to be fun to watch whether the Padres can – down the road afford more guys to add to that team? I don't know, because you still have the Hosmer deal on the books. That's a huge deal. It's interesting. Uh, They have a game plan. They sold them on it. When we were talking about this before, I'm sitting there going, if I'm Manny Machado, I'm only signing with a team that I know can win. Yeah, I get it that San Diego is a great place to play, and I heard a lot of people say, oh, you could pay me $30 million a year to play in San Diego and lose every game. Yeah, right. If you haven't played and you're at that level and you're not a competitive guy, then, yeah, maybe you could say that. But if you've played there and you're a competitive guy, you want to win. Losing stinks. And I don't care how much money you make. I I was in the big leagues in 2006 with the Rays. We were awful. I, I was so happy to be sent down to the minor leagues. That's how bad it was. Really? And that's not how it should be. Yes. And so... When, when I'm looking at these contracts, if I'm signing that big contract, the Bryce Harper, Machado, I'm trying to go somewhere where I can win. That surprised me a little bit because the Padres aren't winning in the next couple of years. Uh, we've discussed that before. Uh, but they had the pay, they had the money to do it, and they gave him the $300 million, uh, but they sold him on it too because uh, I know he has the opt-out at five years, I believe, Yeah, uh, which is he had to get. There's no way he can't sign that deal without an opt-out in five years because – if the team's not treading in the right direction, I'm out. I, I've spent five years, uh, and and I'm I'm not happy where everything's going. I'm out. I think that opt out was important, but this is big. I think it's big for the free agent market in general because we didn't know that Machado was going to get 300 million. We speculated maybe 230, right. 240, you know, somewhere in that range, um, and he got 300. So does Bryce Harper get more than that? I think he probably should. But at the same time, who's bidding? We don't know who's bidding. Because if Machado got 300 from the Padres, what were the other offers? I know we heard that one offer they said was ludicrous, 175 I think, for eight years yeah. from the White Sox. And they thought they said well, that, that was ludicrous. that got shot but, down too, yeah. Yeah, it got shot down. But do we really know if that was false? We don't know. And so now you're looking at Bryce Harper and saying, how much can he get? Does he deserve more than Machado? Probably I would have. I just had would have more of a an issue signing Machado that kind of deal, just showing what he showed us as far as the hustle, the attitude, you know, all that stuff. Do I want that guy for ten years at three hundred million? That's a big deal. And I think Harper. When you look at that, Harper's a guy that you're more likely to sign for that big deal. Plus, he's a huge marketing possibility for teams. Sure. If Bryce Harper comes to your team, how excited is everybody? How much can you market him? How much money can you make off marketing? And when Bryce Harper signs, I think you're going to see him, everything just blow up. I, I think it's going to be great for baseball. I wish he would sign soon. Uh, where is he going to sign? I, I would guess Philly. I, I think that Philly is a team that, that's uh, willing to spend the money. They want to spend money, and they want to make that splash. 
Uh, but I could be wrong, and Washington could be back in the mix. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like Washington may or may not really be interested in getting back into this just based on comments from their owner as of late in the week. But you know, stranger things have happened than somebody who wasn't at the table coming to the table with an offer, somebody swooping in and deciding, you know what, we can do this. And I'm sure that's what Scott Boris is hoping for. Whether or not his client has turned down multiple $300 million offers, which was also reported over the past week, it's just a wait and see right now still for the Bryce Harper market. Of course, Craig Kimbrell, Dallas Keuchel, also all-star free agents that could be helping a team out there. If Philly doesn't get Bryce Harper, would they jump in for one or both of those guys? They could in theory. So it's more of the waiting game, even though I don't think everybody's been enjoying that. But if Harper's able to get his money, I'm sure he'll be happy to have waited if he ends up in the situation that he wants to be in, making the kind of money that he and Scott Boris are out there looking for currently at the moment. Manny Machado, though, is signed. Padres got him for 10 years, $300 million, the biggest free agent contract, I think, in American sports history. So that's a pretty good deal for him. Padres are a team that could spend some more. They don't have much on the books. They haven't been historically known as spenders, but I would say that Manny Machado may be changing the narrative when it comes to what the Padres are doing. So we'll see what they add over the coming months and years so that they can cash in that big chip and turn the Padres into a team that can get back to the playoffs and perhaps win a World Series, something that their franchise is still looking for as well. So that pretty much wraps up what's going on from the Diamond, particularly with the Atlanta Braves, but also a look at what's happening on what's left of the hot stove, which I think is pretty much going to be extinguished and turned off when it comes to actual baseball being played, which is going on as Grapefruit League and Cactus League games are starting across baseball. You can get a big heaping helping of that, of course. The Braves will be in action Saturday against the Mets, Sunday against the Astros. Tuki Toussaint and Mike Fultonevich are starters in those games, respectively. So be sure to check those out and be sure to subscribe to the podcast iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, where you can find it. We appreciate all those reviews. And on social media, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at NickGreen20. FromTheDiamond.com. You can find that bullpen preview and the other four parts of my five-part Braves preview are all up there as well. So, Nick, when we meet again, we'll be able to talk about actual Braves baseball games that have been played and what they might mean for guys fighting for roster spots. I'm pretty excited to be talking about actual reactions to baseball games and baseball being played again. I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see what everybody's able to do in spring training. This is the time of year everybody's excited. The records are zero and zero. I'm just I'm just pumped up. I think this team's going to be really good, uh, and I think they're going to compete. And I'm excited to see uh, how guys continue to progress. And that's one of the fun things about this team, and something that I really look forward to is watching the guys last year, seeing what they do this year. See if they take that step forward. I think a lot of guys are going to. All right. We'll see exactly what the Braves are able to do, whether somebody fighting for a roster spot, somebody trying to prove that they're healthy, or somebody trying to pick up where they left off last year, and the team trying to do just exactly that and take it a little bit further this year. It all begins again as Grapefruit League play gets started, and we'll start counting down to opening day as the Braves will look to march their way back to October in 2019. Nick, enjoyed talking about it all with you today. Look forward to doing it again next week. Absolutely. All right. For Nick Green, I am Grant McCauley. This is From the Diamond, and we will catch you next week. So long, everyone.